Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 21st of January 2022 Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. We've had an exciting few weeks in Hong Kong with cases spiking and new measures being enforced. Our primary schools have gone home early for the New Year holiday, and this does seem to be the perfect time for Ethan's story about the difficulties faced by teachers. During the global pandemic, teachers have been working harder than ever, but this story is from a few years ago and shows what a wide variety of skills a teacher has to have in their toolbox. After Ethan's story, we'll hear another poem from local poet Vishal Nanda titled Flowers. Before we get to today's stories, however, a big carefully distanced hug goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We do hear you, Hong Kong, and we are listening. Hellos go out to our overseas listeners as well, this week particularly to listeners in Rustington in the UK, San Jose in California in the USA, and Roselaire in Belgium. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Our January live show has been postponed, of course, but our student story slam is going ahead. The live performance date is currently March the 20th. Entries will be collected until February 11th, so you have some time to write and get those in. Every story will be listened to and receive feedback from our experienced team, and the best stories will be invited to perform live on stage. This year, the theme is Silver Linings, and you can find all the information you need to enter on our website, hongkongstories.com. Just look for Student Story Slam at the top of the page on hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now, with a story from our September 2021 show that had the theme, Same, Same, But Different, here is Ethan. Five years ago, I was exposed to a blood-curdling, spine-shivering scream every week, Monday through Friday, for 12 weeks. The scream belonged to a little first-grade girl named Sasha. So I'm an English teacher at a small village school out in Yunlong, and in the morning on the first day of that school year, that scream. So, believe me, my impression does not do it justice. I simply cannot make the guttural, high-pitched scream a six-year-old girl makes when she's experiencing the worst moments in her entire short life. So the first grade classroom is right next to the teacher's office, and everybody in there hears it. We give each other this look. It's like, who's murdering a kid in there? The scream is so loud and violent that the vice principal gets up from what she's doing to go see what's happening. A few minutes later, I pop my head in there, and I see the vice principal, along with Sasha's two homeroom teachers, and even some of her more helpful classmates trying to calm her down, but she won't have any of it. At 8.30, classes need to start, and this little girl's commotion needs to be taken outside. And since this is the first day of school, you can imagine everybody's pretty busy. So the vice principal pops her head into the office, sees there's only two or three of us in there, and as fate would have it, I'm the least busy. She walks directly over to me, and she's like, Mr. Barron, you don't have any lessons until 10, right? Would you mind sitting with Sasha for a while? 
And in my head, I'm like, shit. But out loud, I blurt, sure. But am I the right person for this job? And she's like, look, just help me out, okay? So with that, I agree, and I walk out of the office for the first of many meetings with little Sasha. Now, I'm pretty uncomfortable with this, right? Uh, it's only my second year on the job, um, and I'm trained in second language acquisition, not childcare psychology. But, you know, whatever, why not give it a go? So I walk out, and I see Sasha sitting on a bench in front of the library, hunched over a wad of tissues in her hands, in her cute little blue and white uniform dress with these big doll eyes. And those eyes are red and raw, as she's been crying for about 45 minutes. Now, we had met the previous week at the first grade orientation, so I come up, I introduce myself again, and I sit down. Then I mistakenly ask her, what's wrong? She goes on and on and on about how scared she is. She's surrounded by all these strange adults speaking a strange language that she doesn't understand, and how she wants her mommy. And so as she says all this, she begins to freak out again. Uh, you know, the tears start flowing, the snot and spit start to fly, and her breathing turns into this fast-paced sob. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> so I, you know, I try to console her. I explain to her that, you know, everybody at the school is her friend. We're all there specifically to make her feel welcome and loved, but that doesn't work. So I sit there and I... I think, and I rack my brain, searching all my memories, trying to find something that might help her calm down. And I remember what my mom used to do when I threw these kinds of tantrums when, when I was Sasha's age. She would kneel down, put her face in mine, and say, Ethan, breathe, just breathe. So I do it with Sasha. Breathe, Sasha, just breathe. And it works. She calms down. And after about 30, or minute, 30 minutes or so, she agrees to go back to her classroom. She does melt down again just before lunchtime, but I'm busy, so somebody else has to deal with her. However, since I'm usually not as busy as the other teachers in the morning, and I'm good at calming her down, this becomes part of my job for 12 weeks. Around in the morning, sometime around the 10th week, after I calm her down, she asks me, Mr. Barron, why do I have to go to school? And I'm shocked that it took this long for the subject to be brought up and that, and that she's asking me and hasn't had this conversation with somebody else already. So I gently explained to her that, you know, everybody has to go to school, that when we're children, we don't really know anything and we have to learn how to read and write and do math and learn about the world so we can try to get a good job when we grow up and be otherwise successful adults. To which she sobs, I don't want to go to school. And I say, sure you do. If you don't go to school and learn things, you'll probably end up homeless. And then she asks, what's homeless? So major facepalm moment, right? As adults, we often forget that children are just blank slates with no real foundational knowledge. So I sit there trying to rack my brain, trying to figure out how to explain homelessness to a six-year-old girl living in Hong Kong. And then it hits me. My school is out in a village where there's a lot of stray dogs. So I ask her, have you seen those dirty dogs that hang out around the village eating garbage? Well, a homeless person is kind of like that. And you don't want to be like that, right? 
She goes, no, I really don't. So seemingly satisfied in that moment, she agrees to go back to her classroom and has no further meltdowns that day. The next morning, I don't hear a scream. But not long after getting settled down at my desk, a teacher pops in and I hear the familiar, uh, Mr. Barron, we need your help with Sasha. So the teacher takes me out to the front of the school and then I hear it. Standing at the front gate of the school is Sasha's mom with Sasha sobbing and gripping onto her leg. As I get closer, I can see the death grip that Sasha has on her mother's leg, like the flesh is being all squeezed out and I'm sure the, the circulation being cut off, right? So I come up and I say a quick hello to Sasha and I ask her mother if I might try to gently pry Sasha off her leg, to which she replies with wide eyes, please. So I'm pushing my fingers between Sasha's hands and her mom's leg, and it's just not working. I'm trying to console her, and it's just not working. And I think, and I, I, I go, Sasha, you could transfer over to my leg if you want, and this works. So I hobble over to a bench on the edge of the playground, and I get us sat down, and I'm consoling her, and she looks up at me with those big, wet eyes, and she sobs, Mr. Baron, Mr. Baron. I'm like, what is it, Sasha? She goes, Mr. Baron, I want to be a dog. I want to be a dog. Just leave me outside, and I'll eat garbage. To which I said, oh, honey, no, you don't. She goes, yes, I do. It's like, no, you don't. She screams, yes, I do. <sighs> I have to get her into class again. I have to do something. So again, I think, and I finally ask her, Sasha, do you love your mom and dad? Do you love your brother? Yes, she says. I said, then... If you become a dog, I'm pretty sure they'll become some of the saddest people in the whole world. And you don't want, it, you don't want that to happen, right? She's like, really? Yes, I say. This actually starts to make her cry more. <laughs> but she calms down and she whines. I don't want to hurt my mom and dad. Good, I say. That makes me so happy. Can I take you to your classroom now? I promise you. Nothing scary will happen to you today. And so while I would have liked that to have been our last time, we kept up kind of a similar routine for the next two weeks, though she got incrementally better each day until she stopped having meltdowns. She made friends, she started excelling in her classes, and she began to enjoy school. She starts sixth grade this year, and I'm quite proud of the fine young lady she's growing into. Thank you. If I'm honest, some days I wish I had someone to hold my hand and promise me that nothing bad would happen to me today. Say what you will about teaching, it's a job that's full of surprises. Thanks to Ethan for sharing that story with us. Now we have another poem written by Vishal Nanda from his recently published book titled Please Stand Back from the Platform Door. There are a few notes by the author about the poem that will be read at the end. Flowers, a poem by Vishal Nanda. They wrote about flowers. We were taught in school, a house is a square, two crosses for windows, triangle for roof. 
They never attach the price, a lifetime of labor, for the unattainable. They wrote about flowers, but I know Fankel. I know Maxims, Starbucks, and McDonald's. I know the rainbow sheen of polluted water about stay-off-the-grass and speed-walking through tourists. They taught me very little about my own nature. Those pale people from those faraway islands that we were told to listen to as children. Tell me of the bamboo-scaffolded towers, where the bamboo comes from, the life cycles of self-taught graphic designers, the ecosystem of concrete-paved, suit-wearing bankers, idealistic students and ignored beggars, or how to do tax returns. I know about roses. I've never seen a violet. I know about love bought in malls, screen, sold, and soldered. They taught me about another island in school. They pretended truth. They said, this is English. This is Hong Kong and left us confused, between silencing our own words and wondering why there was nothing about us in any of the books. This is the author's notes from the poem Flowers. School. I was raised in Hong Kong in a school, part of the group of schools in the English Schools Foundation, or ESF, which followed the British school system and was taught primarily by British teachers. Fankel, spelled F-A-N-C-L, is a popular cosmetics company in Hong Kong, especially known for their skin-whitening products and their eternal slogan, Less is more. Maxims, a franchise of local eateries, one of the biggest in Hong Kong. Bamboo scaffolded towers. In Hong Kong, scaffolding is made with bamboo due to its high tensile strength. This is the second poem that I've read recently from Vishalnanda, and I'd like to read you as well the author's introduction to his book, Please Stand Back from the Platform Doors. As the title, Please Stand Back from the Platform Doors, suggests, I intend my collection to be an urban journey through a mental, physical, and spiritual space, and one that I hope others have also undertaken in their own way. The publication of this journey will hopefully resonate with those in Hong Kong and abroad. It is challenging to state exactly what aspirations I have as an artist and how to consciously understand them myself, let alone communicate them to another person. I can say that art stems from an individual's voice, but hopefully also as a representation of a whole, even if that demographic is not easily defined through ethnicity, gender, or age. I hope that my poetry speaks for more than just myself, and represents instead a sector of Hong Kong's English-speaking population which may not be fully represented in the arts at the present. I am a native-born, ethnically Indian, British passport-holding permanent resident of Hong Kong. I am both local and a foreigner in my own country, but I am also not from anywhere else. This is my home, and my memories, loves, setbacks, and indeed aspirations are wrapped up only here, only in Hong Kong and not in any other native land that I may return to. There are others like me, usually identifying under the umbrella of the third culture kid, but in my heart of hearts, I know I am a Hong Konger, 
I am not sure what that means except to say that the poems I've written are from the point of view of a Hong Konger, although one that is filtered through privilege, third culture kid values, English speaking, an ethnic Indian background, and the colonial detritus that passes it in its wake. I do not know whether what I say is identifiable for the average Hong Konger, but I would argue that such a demographic, i.e. the average Hong Konger, does not exist, because Hong Kong is a place of variety, with a myriad of ethnic groups, social strata, geographical microcosms, and gender, age, and neurological conditions. So as a Hong Konger, I hope that the words of a local in my own right, even if not in the majority's right, have value and speak to those who grew up here and abroad as well, whether as local or foreign. If the poems speak with any semblance of universality, I will be greatly satisfied. In truth, there's one demographic I would like to speak to more than any other, and that is the non-neurotypical who experience mental health issues in our city. My poems are filled with experiences of anxiety, alienation, disconnection, and, I'd like to think, hope and reconciliation. If my poems reach another person who experiences a similar loneliness or isolation, or questions their own experiences and struggles with stress, anxiety, and mental health, then I will have succeeded. I myself am not neurotypical, but bipolar, and thus from a minority that is not well represented in poetry at the moment, and deserves a voice, to add to the chorus of Hong Kong citizens and contribute another faucet to the city's identity. But on the other hand, I think that my poems are also about those who face more universal challenges, perhaps ones that can be found throughout modern living, throughout urban living, through navigating the world at this technological crossroads. My hopes are to connect with people from all these sectors and more, to have a voice where there is otherwise silence, or to add to the great conversation that better writers than me have started and contributed towards. If there is merit to some of my work, then I believe there is merit to its existing in a more widely distributed form. At times, my poems are not about the beauty of Hong Kong, or of any utopian ideal, but of sickness and desperation. Too often, we are afraid to speak of that which troubles us, or are even able to articulate it in the first place. But more so than celebrating the beauty of the world around us, which there is obvious merit in, I believe that speaking for those who suffer silently may, at the least, highlight issues that others may not have thought existed, and, at best, provide solace, camaraderie, and hope to others. Thanks for listening to today's stories, brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>